0: Can indoor plants benefit our health and our mood? Tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist podcast. You are listening to The People Scientist Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 118, where every episode, I aim to share some scientific evidence to give us something to think about in the hopes of making us a little bit smarter and a little bit healthier with every episode. How are you all doing? How is your day going? I hope today's episode keeps you entertained and gives you some food for thought. I also would like to take a moment before I jump into today's topic to give a special shout out to a new Patreon patron, Jayon. Thank you so much for buying me a coffee every month to say thank you for the episode. All of you listening, your support, your questions, your kind words, the coffees that you buy me means so much to me. You fuel me to keep me going on with the podcast and thank you so much for that. So what are we talking about today in today's episode? I have been wanting to cover this topic for a while and that is the question, can indoor plants in our home, workplace, etc. improve our health? The old notion that plants can make our air cleaner or of better quality. Is that actually true? Can plants have any other benefit in our homes? Let's dig into the science and find out. But before we do, Let's start off with that new segment, Forgone Facts, where I share an interesting historical scientific finding. A disease called pellagra plagued the southeastern United States for 30 years because physicians wouldn't believe scientists that the disease was caused by a nutrient deficiency, not a bacteria. You see, vitamins were only starting to be discovered in the early 1900s. An importance being placed on diet for our health was really only starting to come about. At the same time in the early 1900s, as pellagra became an an issue, the bubonic plague caused by bacteria was also plaguing the west coast of the United States. However, pellagra on the southeastern United States at the time is a condition that includes sun-sensitive skin, shedding skin, darkly pigmented dry scaly rashes, gastrointestinal upset, bright red tongue, depression, loss of interest, headaches, and confusion. Sadly, in the early 1900s, the pellagra plague had a fatality rate of 33%. Now, Casimir Funk claimed that pellagra was due to a diet deficiency, not a bacteria. In the southeastern United States at the time, their main food staple was corn, and very low in vitamin B3 niacin and its precursor, the amino acid tryptophan. Now, in order to prove that this plague wasn't infectious, the scientists went to some great lengths. Now, if you're squeamish, I suggest you skip ahead 30 seconds. Now, Goldberger and his team would go to the hospital where the patients with pellagra were residing, and they took samples from the patients. In fact, the scientists ate the shedded skin, as shedding skin was a common occurrence with pellagra, And the scientists also injected themselves with small amounts of the blood of the patients battling with pellagra. Now, when the scientists did not become ill, they provided evidence that pellagra was not infectious in nature. In 1915, the scientists recruited a group of participants, which were inmates of a jail, in exchange for a shorter sentence. They participated in a study where they gave the participants the exact same diet of those living in the southeastern United States. That was a diet high in corn, pig fat, and very low in protein. Within six months, the participants developed pellagra. This provided more evidence that pellagra was not infectious, but due to a diet deficiency. It was not until 30 years from the beginning of the pellagra plague in 1937 that niacin vitamin B3 was isolated from animal liver and given to patients to treat their pellagra. The scientists would isolate vitamin B3 from animal liver and intravenously inject this vitamin into the patients, and their symptoms would reverse rapidly. Only then did the physicians believe that pellagra was not infectious, but due to a vitamin deficiency. It literally took 30 years. That's shocking, isn't it? So if that interests you and you want to hear more about that topic, I go into far more detail in episode 38. Now, let's get into the core takeaways. (music) Studies in controlled environments where plants are placed in enclosed chambers indicate that, yes, plants seem to reduce the presence of harmful compounds that can be present in the air. In a couple of studies done in an office building, more real-world scenario, Adding three plants to the office, a small individual office space, seemed to reduce volatile compounds like benzenes in the air. Now besides air quality, being out in nature with a view that fascinates us, that is expansive, and bringing the outdoors indoors with indoor plants in a window view might just improve our mood and reduce measures of stress. Now let's get into those details. Bringing plants indoors has a long history. Historical evidence indicates that the Egyptians brought plants indoors in the 3rd century BC, and the ruins of Pompeii revealed that interior plants existed more than 2,000 years ago. Today, indoor plants exist in all kinds of environments, in homes, workplaces, shopping centers, waiting rooms. Now why is that? Is it simply for decor and to make the place look better? Or is there more to it? So first, let's discuss the notion that plants may improve our air quality by metabolizing volatile compounds in the air. Some studies indicate that, yes, in enclosed chambers, plants are able to, quote-unquote, clean the air by absorbing or metabolizing some of the potentially harmful volatile compounds. For example, Brilli in the journal Trends in Plant Science in 2018 wrote a review on this topic, whether or not plants could improve indoor air quality. Firstly, it has been appreciated for some time that plants can improve indoor air quality by simultaneously taking up carbon dioxide and releasing oxygen through photosynthesis. They also have the capacity to increase air humidity by water vapor transpired from the leaves. Now let's talk if plants can improve air quality by removing potentially harmful compounds. Now indoor air quality is really important to consider. Potentially toxic gases and particulate matter can be released by a variety of indoor sources, such as our furnishings, paints, varnishes, waxes, carpets, solvents, cleaning supplies, office equipment such as copiers and printers, gas stoves, and cigarettes. Air pollutants commonly found in indoor environments include carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, volatile organic compounds like formaldehydes and benzenes, nitrogen oxides, and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Now NASA was one of the first groups actually in the 1980s to report that some household plants were able to improve indoor air quality. Now scientists have noted that plants and their soil have an ability to simply absorb some of these harmful compounds from the air. Plants also contain microbes and enzymes of their own that may metabolize volatile organic compounds in the air as well. Now, In this review, the scientists report that work still has to be done to understand which plant species are ideal at improving air quality. However, based on the mechanisms by which plants might be beneficial, we can hypothesize that plants with larger surface areas may be better at absorbing chemical pollutants. But the data is a little bit conflicting. Experts in the field note the potential of plants to remove harmful volatile compounds in sealed chamber experiments. So for example, the scientists will place a plant into a sealed vial or chamber that is quite small, for example one cubic meter or even five millimeters small. The chamber will be infused with a harmful volatile compound. Then several hours to days later, the scientists assess how much of the harmful compound is still present. Now, they will compare this to an empty chamber filled with the same harmful volatile compounds. Now, many times in these studies, yes, the chambers with the plants have much lower levels of the compounds, and the scientists state that the plants either absorb or metabolize the harmful compounds. However, some experts in the field say that this does not represent the real world, that our indoor spaces are not sealed chambers, that we have exchange of air through windows or vents, that we have people living in the spaces that are exhaling their breath, cooking, cleaning, smoking, etc. Now, there are a few studies that attempted to determine if indoor plants in a regular setting, such as an office space, if they could improve air quality. For example, Wood and colleagues in the journal Water, Air and Soil Pollution in 2006 conducted a study in three office buildings in Sydney, Australia. Two of the offices had air conditioning and indoor air circulation. The third building had open windows for air exchange and no air conditioning. Many office spaces were chosen in the different buildings, and each were relatively small, about 10 to 12 squared meters, and for single-person occupancy. Now, the scientists took several baseline recordings of air quality over several weeks, then began the experiment. The offices would have either no plants, three potted plants, or six potted plants, brought in. A total of 36 offices were assessed. Now, what plant was it and how big were they? Well, on the floor, the scientists placed the plant called Dracaena duramensis, which is form- or commonly called Janet Craig. Now, the pots were about 30 centimeters, or 12 inches, in diameter. And the soil of these plants consisted of composted hardwood sawdust, composted bark vines, and coarse river sand. Now, the air quality was measured weekly for nine weeks. The scientists monitored the air quality by using a device called a portable photoionization detector, as well as a passive organic vapor monitor that sat on a shelf in each office. In this study, they also conducted a second experiment in eight office spaces where instead of large floor pots, they used smaller tabletop pots of two plant species, the same Janet Craig as in the first experiment, and now also Sphanthelium sweet chico peace lily plant. They would have one Janet Craig plant and five peace lily plants. The pots were just under 8 inches or 20 centimeters in diameter. Now they chose these particular plant species because in their controlled, enclosed chamber experiments, they noted that these two particular plants performed the best in regard to reducing the concentration of volatile compounds. So in study one, the scientists noted that compared to an office with no plants, having three or six floor plants of the Janet Craig plant species, the volatile compounds in the air declined by approximately 28%. Three plants seemed to be just as good as six plants. If the scientists looked at the offices that had particularly high levels of harmful volatile compounds above 100 parts per billion, the offices with plants had 50% lower levels of volatile compounds in the air versus an office with no plants. Again, three plants being just as effective as six plants here. Interestingly, in this study, they also measured the air quality of the outdoor air and the concentration of volatile compounds in the outdoor air, and every time the volatile concentration of the compounds was lower in the outdoor air versus the indoor air. In the second experiment where the scientists placed plants of the Sweet Chico Peace Lily and Janet Craig plants in the smaller tabletop pots, the results were more prominent. Approximately 50% lower levels of volatile compounds were noted in the air in offices with the plants versus no plants. Now again, in offices with higher baseline volatile compound concentrations in the air, the plants did an even better job, lowering the volatile compounds by over 70%. Again, the three plants was just as effective as the six plants here. So the scientists conclude that in indoor office spaces, with or without air conditioning, that particularly if the offices are starting off with higher concentrations of indoor pollutants above 100 parts per billion, that the plant species Janet Craig or Sweet Chico Peace Lily seem to reduce concentrations of known harmful volatile chemicals, such as benzenes, hexanes, pentanes, and toluenes. Now, it is important to note that some scientists in the field are still wary if indoor plants might be effective enough to significantly reduce indoor volatile compounds, as some other studies show smaller improvements than this study. For example, improvements of 5 to 10 percent reduction in volatile concentrations in the air. So, it is still a bit of a controversial topic with conflicting evidence, but there certainly are studies to suggest the potential benefit of adding plants to an indoor office space in improving air quality. Now I came across a really cool study by Zhang and colleagues in environmental science and technology in 2019. They conducted a study where scientists genetically engineered a house plant, pothos ivy plant, so that it could express a liver enzyme known to metabolize toxins in mammals. Now this enzyme was the cytochrome p450 2E1 protein. First of all, can we just take a moment to recognize how cool that is? The scientists thought, hmm, we know as mammals that our liver detoxifies, detoxifies a lot of things. Well then, let's take that enzyme that metabolizes those toxins and clone it into a plant so that it can detoxify our air. How incredible. I love being a scientist because of things like this. So the scientists put their genetically engineered pothos ivy plants into 5 millimeter vials and infused the vials with harmful chemicals such as benzene or chloroform. The plants were left with this air in the vial for nine days. Then the headspace or air left in the tube was analyzed for any remaining benzene, chloroform, and metabolites. The scientists noted that versus a vial that had no plant in it, versus their genetically engineered pothos ivy plant, versus also just a regular wild-type pothos ivy plant, that the genetically engineered plant, was very good at eliminating benzene and chloroform. Specifically, after nine days, the no plant and the regular pothos ivy plant tubes had the same results. So the pothos ivy didn't seem to make a difference compared to having no plant. For example, they started out with 2,000 milligrams per cubic meter of benzene or chloroform, and that dropped to 1,500 just naturally after nine days. But by comparison, their genetically engineered plant removed benzene from starting at 2,000 units dropping all the way down to 250 units. The plant was even better at removing chloroform. At baseline, the chloroform levels in the tube were 800 units, and after nine days, the genetically engineered plant was able to essentially absorb or metabolize all of the chloroform. So is this what our future holds? Might we have some plants in our homes that have liver enzymes cloned into them to make our air cleaner? How cool would that be? Now, another common finding I came across was that indoor plants may improve our mental well-being, and I thought that was an interesting avenue to explore. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Brinsle Mark in the Journal of Environmental Psychology in 2009 wrote a great review on how plants in our indoor environment might have a beneficial psychological impact. Now, psychologists observe that in today's work environment, we can easily become exhausted when we have to give intense and prolonged attention to our work indoors, and this can certainly lead to attention fatigue and being unable to focus. Kaplan in the Journal of Environmental Psychology published back in 1995 that in order to combat this mental exhaustion, that we must have a moment of inhibiting these neural processes. And one such way to inhibit those neural processes is to remove ourselves from our work environment and to go outside. Kaplan speculates that our ability to reset and restore our mind, so to speak, in the outdoors has to have certain qualities. And one such quality that Kaplan really focuses upon is the element of fascination. The outdoor environment must have extent. In other words, be rich enough that it constitutes another world. Like looking out to the river, a pond, the ocean, the mountains, prairie fields, even just looking up at the clouds in the sky, views that are far from us. These sights are expansive and wondrous, of another world perhaps, a view that we can dream about and be fascinated with. So firstly, removing ourselves from our workspace and getting outdoors whenever possible seems to be likely of benefit. But what if we bring the outdoors in? What if we have plants in our workspace? Does that have a benefit? Well, Cummings and Waring wrote in the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental Epidemiology in 2020 how they reviewed several clinical studies and observed noticeable benefits of indoor plants on having more positive emotions, fewer negative emotions, and reduced physical discomfort. Now, the scientists don't fully comprehend as to how plants might improve our mental well-being in an indoor space. just that they know it occurs. But perhaps it brings us back to that expansive, fascinating scenery and contributes to that in our indoor environment. For example, Shibata in 2004 conducted a study where they had young individuals conduct a memory task, either with the view of a wall, the view of a magazine rack, or the view of of a beautiful plant. Now, the individuals with the view of the plant seemed to report better mood during the task and had better attention during the task and performed better overall. Now, interestingly, the women in the study seemed to be more positively influenced by the presence of the plant than the men. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, anecdotally, all of my friends that have a keen interest in indoor plants happen to be female. And I wonder if, for some reason women experience greater benefits to indoor plants versus men. If that is the case, we don't really know why that is, but certainly an interesting thing nonetheless. How about another study? Chang in 2005 published a really interesting experiment in the journal Hort Science. They wanted to determine how window views and indoor plants could influence the mood of participants. Now when you think about it, we spend a huge proportion of our time in our work environment our environment can very likely influence our mood and our productivity. I think we can all appreciate that an office with a window view or an outside view is nice to look at and experience. Now, going back to that notion of being outdoors and looking at a wondrous, fascinating landscape to reset our mind is really intriguing. So in this study, the scientists wanted to see if window views and indoor plants influenced employees' mood. Now instead of using subjective measures alone, like questionnaires to ask participants how they felt with indoor plants, the scientists wanted to have objective measures too. So in addition to a questionnaire about their feelings of anxiety and stress, the scientists also used electromyography on the forehead of the participants to assess muscle tension on the forehead, which they believe is an indicator of stress. They also used electroencephalography, or an EEG, of the cerebral cortex, which measures the brain electrical activity of this higher-order brain region involved in thinking, planning, and decision-making. And lastly, the scientists also measured their heart rate. Now, the participants were placed in six different simulated environments. One, a window with city view. Two, window with city view and indoor plants. Three, a window with a nature view. Four, window with nature view and indoor plants. Five, an office with no window. And lastly, number six, an office with no window but with indoor plants. So what did the scientists observe? If the participants had a city view, adding indoor plants significantly improved their state anxiety questionnaire, so reduced their questions about how they felt about their stress and anxiety, and it also improved their resting heart rate. I think a lot of us tend to have a city view if we do happen to have a window in our office, so this is a study to support that adding indoor plants might just help with our mood. Participants seem to have the highest heart rate with just a city view and no plants. That was interesting. So they seem to feel less stressed with plants present in this environment. In general, adding indoor plants to the office space seemed to decrease the alpha waves on the EEG, And if they had a view of nature from the window in indoor plants, they had the highest beta waves on the EEG. There did not seem to be a significant effect on muscular forehead tension. So it appears that having a window with a view and adding indoor plants might just have some benefits to our mood in our work environment. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. Can indoor plants benefit our indoor space? The answer appears to be likely yes. Having some indoor plants might increase the carbon dioxide to oxygen exchange, it may increase room humidity, and potentially reduce the concentration of harmful volatile compounds in the air. Besides an influence on air quality, being outdoors in nature with a view that fascinates us seems to be important for reducing mental exhaustion and improving mood. If we can bring the outdoors inside by having a nice window view and indoor plants, This seems to improve measures of mood and reduce levels of stress as well. What do you think? Do you have plants in your home or workplace? Do you have a window nearby? Do you think it improves your mood and quality of life? I'd love to hear. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider telling a friend about it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you're feeling extra generous, you can feel free to buy me a coffee to say thanks for the episode as I choose to stay unbiased and not take any sponsors for the show. The information on how to buy me a coffee is in the description box to each episode. So I hope that you all have a wonderful week, and I hope that this episode gave you something to ponder. I look forward to meeting you back here again in two weeks' time. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.